The last time Zelaya saw her parents, she had not yet known the way of women. The last thing she heard from her mother was a lullaby that she sang every night before she fell asleep. Her new master's household did not speak the language of her mother. The lullaby was beautiful on its own. Her father had taken Zelaya before her mother awoke. He said she would serve the master for only a year, but the master's work was hard. Her first week, she left a candle burning all night. That added two more months. When she dropped a platter that added six months, it was an expensive platter. When she needed a new dress because she had outgrown her own, it cost her another year. The master said the rules were there to help her. And he knew the rules better than anyone after all. He was the high priest of this region. The master was not the first to notice her body had grown. He was well-aged and saw the servants as objects of wrath, not lust. That distinction went to his son. The first time the master's son took Zelaya, it was on a day of feasting. The servants were told to go outside and sleep in tents in order to remember the master's god. While all the servants were out, the master's son asked Zelaya to stay behind. The old maids told her it was a good thing. Perhaps he would make her a concubine. She should feel grateful. They were jealous of her beauty. Zelaya did not feel beautiful, even though the master's son told her again and again that she was. But he always told it to her as he sent her out of his chamber at night, like it was a parting word to a merchant, a little more than an extra coin. The master's son's wife was also jealous. So much so that one day during dinner, she flung a bowl of hot, oily soup at Zelaya's face. Zelaya had raised her hands, but her hands were small. The scars then traced the pattern of her fingers on and across her cheeks, her nose, her forehead. The master could not spare any of his exotic and expensive salves. After all, he reasoned, Zelaya's race was a hardy one. Surely she would heal. Rather, the master told Zelaya to pray to his god. Instead, that night, Zelaya hummed her mother's lullaby, as she had done every night before, though she had long forgotten what the words meant. The old maids did not think her so beautiful anymore, the master's son neither. But while he did not comment on her face, he still had uses for the rest of her. One day, her belly began to grow. Nine months later, she sang her mother's lullaby to her own newborn daughter. The day they took Zelaya's daughter away had begun so well. The master had taken them among other servants to go out and visit the city, which was full of odd sights. She had even seen a man in an expensive robe climb a tree in the middle of the street so that he might see something in a crowd. Zelaya thought it was most comical. 
When she asked what he was looking at, they told Zelaya that there was a special teacher of her master's god there. She did not care about her master's god or any of his teachers. However, her master spat at the mention of the teacher's name. The master said the temple had much business with the empire that ruled the region, and he said this teacher was trying to cause a rebellion, a revolution, which was hurting the offerings to the temple. Besides, he's a Nazareth. What good comes from Nazareth? The master scoffed at the claims that this teacher could speak of the future or even heal the blind and broken. That, of course, intrigued Zelaya. Now she too wanted to see this teacher. Perhaps he could heal her scars. So when the crowd passed them by, Zelaya strained to get a look. She could only catch glimpses of the teacher. He was surrounded by a throng of people clamoring for his attention, and around him were a few men dressed like Galileans who seemed to be his main disciples. They were hurrying people to and from the teacher, promising that they would help everyone, though they couldn't really. Zelaya saw that one of them seemed to be leading this effort. He was a strange-looking man with a short, square beard, and around his neck was a piece of stone tied to a string. The crowd was loud. Zelaya knew she would not be able to reach the teacher. She doubted he could heal her anyways. After all, he taught about her master's god. When she turned back around, she discovered that her master's retinue was not with her. The master's guards, carrying a bag of silver, found her, accused her of attempting to escape, to flee. Zelaya would have to just be sold the next day to another trader who came through the city. What next trader? Zelaya kept asking where her daughter was. The master's men seemed to only accuse her of trying to escape being disloyal. When they got back, they locked her in a room to punish her. Zelaya tried to sing her mother's lullaby, but every time she did so, she remembered her daughter's face and wept. Finally, one day, they let her out. They needed her to help prepare for the upcoming feast. Zelaya knew that this would be her best chance to actually escape. She had to go find her daughter. This particular feast, the master and his family made a point that they could not leave the house. That was why they prepared so many delicious foods and ate through the night, even until the next day. Zelaya waited until they were full and tired, and the night was waning. When the cook asked her to go and fetch more pork buns, she slipped out the kitchen exit. She was correct that her master nor his son would leave the house. She had forgotten that they did not feel obliged to keep the servants on the same restriction. By the time Zelaya had scaled the outer wall, her master's guards were in full pursuit. Zelaya ran out of the house into the city. She was thankful that there seemed to be still quite a lot of activity. It gave her cover through the streets, but she didn't know where she was going. She knew she had to hide within the crowds of people. Then when she looked up and saw that the crowds were headed towards the temple of her master's god, rising in the center of the city. If anyone knew where her daughter was, it would be there. When she arrived, Zelaya found a large mass already gathered. She begged and pleaded with anybody she could, asking if they knew of any slave traders who bought from the high priest. 
but they were all in a frenzy about something, the temple being destroyed, although it looked perfectly fine to Zelaya. One very extravagant looking man shoved her aside when she asked for help, telling her there were far more important matters at hand. Zelaya was dirty, exhausted, and despondent. She would be found, she knew it, and she would be beaten. But what brought her the most sadness was realizing that her daughter would be lost forever. Slowly she made her way to a fire in the outer courtyard. As she warmed herself, she looked up and saw across from her the man with the short square beard and a stone tied around his neck. It was him. He was the disciple, the important one with the teacher, the leader of them. If anyone would help her, he could help her. He would have to help her. She was saved. Zelaya rushed up to him and shouted, You! You were the one with that Nazarene! The teacher! The square-bearded man's eyes opened wide in fear. He said, I neither know nor understand what you mean. He began to back away. Zelaya couldn't believe it. Here was a man who thought himself important, whose teacher claimed to heal the sick, who was supposed to lead a rebellion against these corrupt leaders. She ran at him, finger pointed, yelling at the top of her lungs, yes, you are. You are one of them. You were with him. You were with him. You can help me. The crowd around her began to take notice. The man with the square beard denied it again. Zelaya shouted, all her desperation flowing like a flood, Please! You said you would help anyone, everyone. Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. The square-bearded man responded by spitting on her and shouting curses at her. From the crowd, her master's guards emerged, having heard all the screaming and commotion. As the square-bearded man slipped away, Zelaya heard a rooster crow. It was the sound she remembered as she was being dragged away. It was the sound she remembered as they beat her. It was the sound she remembered as she was put back to work. One day, she was cleaning the courtyard. She found a piece of stone tied to a string. She spat on it. What help are you? She said knowing nobody would hear her. Zelaya had no fight left in her. She discovered that her daughter had been sold in order to cover the cost that the Nazarene teacher's failed rebellion had caused the high priest. And she too would soon be sold. It had been an expensive rebellion for her master. Zelaya did not care anymore. day came a month later for her to be sold. She still did not care. Through the merchant's broken Hebrew, he said he was going to take her far away. She still did not care. As they made their way out of the city, they found their pathway blocked. A large crowd was gathering in the street, listening intently to something. Zelaya strained to hear what they were all listening to, but it sounded to her like the noise of a thousand crazed men. What a repugnant city, she thought. She was happy to be rid of it. But her new master's face was in awe. Did he not hear the same thing she did? 
her new master whispered in disbelief. How are they speaking my tongue? What does this mean? Her new master must have heard something different, something powerful, because he turned to her. His eyes opened wide into all the other slaves he had just purchased. His eyes were full of tears, and with quivering lips he said to them, You are free. And then he just walked away from them all. Zelaya was stunned. What, what had just happened? Who was her master now? And in that moment, she heard in the sound of all the men, of all the noise, something like a distant whisper of a breeze, something familiar. She heard her mother's lullaby. Turning towards the sound, she saw in the crowd of people her daughter, arms raised to the sky, singing in worship. Zaliah ran to her, embracing her and covering her in kisses. How was she here? How is this possible? Her daughter told her that the same thing had happened to her. Her master had heard the teaching of these men and compelled by the power of God had set her and all the other slaves free. Which, which, which men? Zaliah asked. And when she did, she turned and saw the men coming out of the house, led by a man with a square beard. You! Zaliah screamed, you! You are the one who denied me! You left me when I needed you! The square-bearded man recognized her, and shame covered his face. But then, as if he had heard from an invisible voice, he stood and walked up to her, and he spoke softly to her. Zaliah, I have sinned against God and you. He has forgiven me. Will you forgive me too and receive him? Zaliah felt her daughter's hand squeeze her own, and in that moment she felt an embrace as if all the love she had ever hoped for was swirling around her like a hurricane. She could not say anything. She simply nodded. The square-bearded man embraced her. He whispered in her ear and he turned and began to speak to the crowd. As he spoke, Zaliah could scarcely pay attention, for her hands reached up and touched the smooth skin of her cheeks, her nose, her forehead. And all she could think about was the whisper of the man in which she had heard, not his voice, but the voice of God saying to her, Be healed. This story was written and performed by Jason Chow, inspired by the servant girl whom the Apostle Peter denied in Luke chapter 22, Mark chapter 14, and Matthew chapter 26. Music is from audio.com and sound effects from freesound.org. Thanks for listening.